Welcome to Vibing Consciously, where we embark on a journey of self-discovery and growth together. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm a metaphysician and intuitive. My specialty is helping others overcome trauma and embrace their true, authentic self. My goal with this podcast is to show others what it's like going through their spiritual journey by sharing my own candid experiences. I'll always be open and honest, never leaving anything out, because I believe as this world grows and evolves into higher consciousness, we're going to need support, and that's what I've come here for. I believe by having a supportive community, we can make the world a place of love and peace instead of war and separation. Together, let's navigate the path to enlightenment and create a community rooted in love and support. In this episode of Vibing Consciously, we delve into the profound realm of dark energy with the remarkable Gale Revels. Together, we explore the intricate dynamics of attachments and curses, shedding light on a wildly misunderstood topic that is important to consider when it comes to our spiritual and emotional well-being. Gale sheds light on what dark energy truly is and how we can better understand this energy around us. She also guides us through the importance of establishing and maintaining energetic boundaries, empowering listeners with invaluable tools to navigate the complexities of their energetic landscapes. Through heartfelt dialogue and profound wisdom, this episode serves as a beacon of guidance for anyone seeking to liberate themselves from the constraints of energetic entanglements and step into a more aligned and empowered existence. Tune in and embark on a transformative journey through greater understanding, healing, and liberation. Hey everybody, Kat here again, and I am here with Gail Revels. She is an energy healer that connects with spirits and attachments and helps people clear those. And she's also here to help give some tools to our listeners as to what they can do if they start experiencing attachments or energies around them. So I'm so excited. Thank you, Gail, for being here so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. You're welcome. Uh, So I'm just going to start just first off, letting you talk about a little bit about what you do, what you experience in your practice, um, and kind of how you got started in all of this. Like, how did that arise for you? Sure. Um, I think I'm going to start with how I got started because it really impacts what I do. So um, I'm a practitioner who is really auditory and empathic are probably my two strongest gifts. So I've been hearing voices and spirits my whole life. And for the first probably half of my life, it was trying to make them go away and trying not to talk about what I heard. And I had a lot of ancestral energy around me. Um, My family lines needed a lot of ancestral healing. And because I could hear them, they were constantly around me. And some of them were helpful. And I think that's wonderful, but some of them were not. And some of them just like to stir the pot. So um, if you take a three-year-old who just repeats what they hear and say, hey, go tell grandma this, and it ends up being the big family secret, it causes major drama. So um, my family wasn't fond of the drama. Um, I think they were also a little worried that I would be mentally institutionalized if I, um, if people knew that I was talking to spirits. Schizophrenia was a major worry in my family. So, um, so I got told to shut up or that I had a great imagination. And um, 
so I tried really hard not to listen to them. And then, you know, as I got older, you just start building walls or ignoring them. And, you know, I think a lot of kids can hear spirits. I think a lot of people are gifted in that way. Our imaginary friends are often real. And we are told they're not real and we learn not to listen. And then sometimes they give up and go away or we just don't hear them anymore because we've tuned them out so, so much. And the um, some people can't tune them out, though. And those are the ones, you know, that either end up institutionalized or end up being some type of healer um, because you can't tune them out. You can't say they're not real. And, and that really was my my path. So by the time I was in my 20s and 30s, I started playing with things like Reiki, which was wonderful. Um, pendulums, which I loved, oracle cards and tarot. And those were ways that were more socially acceptable to interact or say the message that I was hearing in other ways. And um, so that was really kind of my path into the work. And then, I don't know, I was maybe almost 40. Um, I had a regular career at that point. I went to school, even got a master's degree in public policy, worked for the government and was a fairly high level manager um, with the big city at that point. And um, my life was falling apart because I was really out of alignment. So um, was that who I am as a soul? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing in the world? Absolutely not. And things were just getting more and more and more difficult for me um, at work and in my family life. And eventually it just all exploded. And um, I went out on medical leave. And um, in, in that course of time, both of my parents have passed. Um, I've done a lot of therapy. Um, but then I also started doing more energy work. And the more I did, the more it felt right and um, things would get cleared and um, by learning different things I took a core shaman class which was lovely um, it was you know 16 months and a great group of people that I'm still friends with and a teacher that has become a colleague and then a friend and it, it, each healing each class each technique made me more me and so, and from the very beginning, the guides were saying, you need to do this professionally. And I would just laugh that off because, um, well, I live in San Francisco and this is a really expensive place to live as a single person. And um, I was like, yeah, right. Energy healer is going to make what? $20,000 a year if you're lucky. Um, my friends, which, you know, granted we're in the corporate high level government jobs were just like, yeah, you're going to be the homeless person smoking pot in the corner. And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> um, and, but that's the stereotype. And, and I think that's really the fear. And, um, and I really like to speak to that because um, you can make good money doing this. You can be successful and, um, but you have to work at it and you have to do your own work. So, yeah. So the, when I first started my practice, it was because everybody was telling me I had to. And I, from the spirit world, the human world was telling me not to. And um, I was consulting and I was making really good money. Um, I had come back from my medical leave, um, had another professional job. And I was basically charging for the things I had learned in my 16 month program, which was good, but you could tell wasn't quite where I was supposed to be. Um, and I still do some of those things a little bit in my practice, um, like soul retrieval and energy extraction and 
um, a little bit of mediumship even I learned in that program. Um, but that wasn't really an alignment for me. And um, I was doing it on nights and weekends and not a whole lot. And the guides kept telling me I had to choose. Um, they're like, you're never going to make it as a practitioner if you don't make that your focus. And I was like, but I used all of my savings having 20 months of medical leave. I can't afford to simply quit my job on my two clients a week and hope that's going to support me in my life in San Francisco. And I dragged my feet. Boy, did I drag my feet. And um, they kept telling me, you have to do it. You have to do it. And then they're like, I was like, well, I have free will and sovereignty. And that's the whole point of this journey. And um, which is a fun conversation to start arguing with your guides about that. <laughs> and um, my teacher even says when I was talking to her about it, and I was like, they're telling me I have to do this. She's like, yeah, I think you do. And I was like, really? <laughs> no, really. Uh, and I was like, what about free will? She said, well, you do have free will. Um, she goes, but when you're really meant to do it, um, that's your alignment. And, um, and if you're out of alignment, things don't go really well. And at that point, you know, my life had already exploded and I was, had put it back together again, but I was still not really in alignment. And I was like, yeah, um, I can feel the pressure building of needing to do it. And at that point, most of my friends were in the were came from the spiritual healing communities that I had been studying in and living in for, you know, at that point, almost exclusively for three years, I either had work friends or spirit friends, a few old college friends, but, you know, most of my community was from the spiritual community. And, you know, there, every time I walked up to somebody who was connected to their guides, they would tilt their head to the right. And they would say, the guides say you have to choose. And it happened over and over and over again until oh. anytime they would tilted their head to the right, I was like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and eventually I did choose um, to do this full time. Um, the, the other thing is that I did actually find my niche and my alignment. And, you know, for someone who'd been hearing spirits forever, but was still trying really hard not to. Um, when my guys like open a practice called energy healing with spirits, I'm throwing a little bit of a three year old temper tantrum over here because <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to spirits like, yes, I want to work with helping spirits to help my clients. But that had an implication that I was not um, liking and which is, you know, again, in retrospect, hilarious. Um, but it, at the time, I was still really dragging my feet, and I was sitting in a um, in a class with uh, my first shamanic teacher, and um, she was talking about energy extraction. And she says, "There's two types of extraction." She goes, "There's solid and fluid." And everybody, you know, we all have our notebooks. You know, what's the difference between solid and fluid? And she says, "You know, solid is something that gets stuck, kind of like a splinter." Um, a fight that you had or whether the energy gets stuck in your body or words that are said and the energy gets stuck in the body. You might have gone off and processed that fight with the person you had and you're both good, but your energy body is still holding that resonance or that energy that's left behind. And um, she goes, then those energies aren't alive. They're not changing. They're not growing. They're not moving. It's like a splinter. And your body might be reacting to it and, and having a bigger reaction in the splinter, but the splinter is still the splinter. And um, she goes, that's a solid, you know, energy that's stuck. Fluid is energy that can move around. And if energy can move around, it's alive. 
and, um, and if it's alive and it has a sentience and a life force of its own, then that needs to be dealt with differently. You know, with a splinter, you can grab some tweezers and pull it out. Um, with something that is alive, that's harder to do. It can move around. Um, there's lots of different ways you could do it. Some of them are kind, some of them are not. Um, because that's really not my specialty. Um, I don't like doing that type of work. When I find fluid things, I refer them out. And um, for me, that was like somebody stuck a bell over my head and rung it. I was like <laughs> that, whatever that is, that is my um, thing. Like I'm supposed to do that. And um, so for me, my whole body is vibrating. My energy is totally shifted and I'm wanting to know more about this. And, but the person who's talking about it has fairly clearly said, this is not my thing. And um, so I was like, well, I'll just ask her later, who, who should I go talk to about this? But, you know, in a class of 15 people, everybody was having that reaction. Wow. Um, not that it was their thing, but tell me more. And um, out of the 15 of us, I think only two of us learned how to do this. And I'm the only one that really does it professionally. But, um, you know, if she got bombarded with questions and, um, anyway, I learned from her that Betsy Bergstrom was the authority in doing it compassionately. She calls it compassionate depossession. And she's based out of Seattle. And at the time, she was still doing classes live and um, obviously pre-pandemic. And um, her class is, you know, three days. It's intense. You have to go to Seattle. Um, you have to get lodging. It's kind of expensive. Um, I've realized, I had already realized at that point, I'm really sensitive to energy and um, the teacher's energy and the boundaries of the container really matter. And I didn't want to spend $1,500 by the time you add lodging and airfare and class and time off work and um, for a teacher I didn't know. And yes, she's the world authority, but yeah, I still didn't know her. And um, so I actually signed up for a weekend class that would be cheaper and only one night. And I just wanted to get a feel for the teacher. And this is the universe totally laughing at me because the weekend class that I signed up for was mediumship. Um, the one topic that I had been avoiding for the 40 odd years of my life. And, um, and Betsy, for the record, is fabulous. One of my favorite people in the entire universe. And um, she starts talking about how to do it safely. How do you ground? What are your boundaries? What are the rules? What is the protocol? How can you have a gatekeeper? What is the, you know, we've now talked for five hours before you've ever talked to a spirit. And, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I needed that. I was missing that. That's why this isn't safe for me. And, um, and then everybody in the class is wanting to talk to the spirit in the room, right? And she goes, that's not mediumship. And she was so annoyed that people kept asking her about that over and over and over again. And, and it made me realize that, you know, it's not just semantics, how you define it really matters. And um, so for her, mediumship is giving voice to a spirit out loud. It has to be deliberate. It has to be something you invited. Well, if I invited it, it's not the spirit in the room. So um, spirit in the room, she goes, that's actually space clearing. And, um, and we're all like, oh. <laughs> um, so, so it was really interesting that, yes, that's how she teaches it and how she breaks it up. But also you needed those foundational mediumship skills to then be able to talk to the spirit in the room safely. And um, 
So I went on from there to take pretty much anything she's ever offered. I think she's an amazing teacher and is really fun. But that's really kind of my path is, you know, I took mediumship with her and then I met Daniel for, um, this was three weekends in a row. So I found at least on my spiritual path, I don't know about yours, that my growth or leveling up as some people will call it happens in spurts. Um, so I had been taking a class for a while. Things had definitely shifted and changed for me by that point. But I did mediumship with Betsy Bergstrom. At this point, I was a Reiki master. So I um, helped basically TA my teacher's Reiki one class. Um, she used to do really big classes a couple times a year. And then she'd bring in her Reiki masters that she had trained to help with the attunement. Mm -hmm. So um, so it would allow her to tune 30 people in one evening, um, but by having quite a bit of help. But, um, but I did the entire workshop with her. So I did mediumship, which totally opened me up. Then I actually TA'd my very first Reiki class as a Reiki master, which also major up level in my energy doing that. Then the third weekend I met Daniel Four. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Daniel Four um, teaches ancestral medicine and it's ritual work around ancestral healing. And, um, and it was just like a one day ritual workshop um, that I met him at and he was talking and um, at this point, I'm a little more open to talking about spirits. And so I asked him, what's the difference between a spirit, a ghost and an ancestor? And he looks at me and his eyes glaze over and he pauses for a second and he goes, you could teach each one of those subjects could be your life's work. I can't answer that in like a throwaway question in a one day workshop. And um, the time was a little annoyed because um, I didn't realize how, really how complex that question was. Many years later, I was like, yeah, that's that's actually, <laughs> you know, that's the humdinger of questions. So, um, but you know, after that, I ended up taking his ancestral medicine workshop, which was four days of ancestral healing. And um, which is another thing that totally blew me open. Um, but it also let me, it gave me a tool or a methodology to start addressing all of the ancestors that were around me. Um, I do a little bit of ancestral work. Uh, it's my method kind of you, taking some of the principles I learned from Daniel and doing it my way. I'm not doing it his way. Um, he's really big on teaching you to do your own, which I think is fabulous. And he has a book that is really good at working you through that if you're interested in that. Um, I'm not called to do it that way. I was, I just want to do a quick thing of helping the ancestors that are hovering around my client and then get to the work that is really mine to do. Um, if they really want to do that, I tend to refer them back into his network because I think it's great. So, um, so then I then spent the next month spending two hours a day clearing my ancestral lines for myself. And, um, I would not recommend people do that. Um, Yes, clear your own ancestral lines. Don't clear all four lines in a month. It's a little too much. That is a um, lot. Especially after everything else I had done in that three-week period. But um, so I guess it's a really long-winded way of saying that when I cleared my ancestral lines, um, it really made me realize that I could hear everything else now. So I wasn't as resistant to talking to spirits. I'm excited to talk to this tree spirit and the fairy and the troll and the thing hanging out with you that's going, please help me get out of here. I don't belong here. Um, where before I was like, yeah, no, 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 please don't talk to me. Um, now I'm like, oh yeah, who are you? It's nice to meet you. Um, why are you here? You don't belong here. <laughs> so, um, and that really made me realize that my 
soul's purpose really is helping spirits stuck where they don't belong get back where they do belong and that is so much fun for me and um they end up where they don't belong for various multitudes of reasons and um i find curses is one really big way curse spirits get stuck in curses as fuel um they're what keeps it going they're the one that watches it to trigger things like how does this 400 year old curse know i'm not allowed to open an apothecary um and it's like oh there's a spirit in there that's tracking that um would you want to be the spirit stuck in a curse for 400 years looking to see if someone in the ancestral line wants to open an apothecary absolutely not why would they ever want to do that um so there's some of that there's some of our ancestors that have gotten off track uh, a lot of them just want to help but some of them have bigger issues um you know there's beings that we have agreements with um i realized we had a whole period in human evolution where we would partner with spirits for our ancestral line and then we would forget about them as a family and so the family line would still have spirits stuck in the family line that is supposed to help us but we don't know they're there and um, and they're annoyed even if they agreed to help because it's you know a few hundred years later and they're here and we're ignoring them um, and if they didn't agree to be here to begin with we didn't attach them to the family line in a very compassionate way they've never been happy with us and now we don't have the tools to protect the living from the really angry spirit which is justifiably angry um so even if it's not our fault personally so um, so then i started having a lot of fun learning different ways to help and see and recognize spirits and um which is why my business name now is highly appropriate because it really is energy healing with spirits and um and i've made friends across i'm hearing across the realms so um so it's really fun for me um and and it's i see really massive shifts and changes for people who are feeling stuck or out of flow or unable to shift their alignment um for me there was all sorts of ancestral reasons why i was still working as a high-end government employee um i mean i'd worked my way up to acting cfo before i left the government um that was so out of alignment for me so um but looking at my ancestral lines and curses and intentions and help and rules um it makes sense why i ended up there um, and why i had such a hard time getting out it wasn't yes i had some fear about money that was legitimately mine but um but some of it wasn't mine <laughs> um and i wasn't able to see recognize or accept other ways um because of the ancestral energy behind me so um so yeah so that's so me is, you know, looking at what's with you that makes you out of flow and how can we shift that energetically? Um, everyone has to do their own work. I'm not going to do your eight years of therapy. You're going to have to do your own eight years of therapy, but I can help you go, oh, you have a group of 20 ancestors with you that really want you to do X with you. Your alignment is Y. I can help with that. But then getting from X to Y in the physical 3D world, that's your work not not mine um and i've also learned a lot of tools along the way that i love to share with clients um because we can do a lot for ourselves and i think relearning our own personal power um reclaiming that stepping into that 
um, your intentions matter, your words matter. And if you can say, hey, thank you ancestors for helping me. Can you help me with this? Um, suddenly everything aligns to help you with the thing that you defined. If you don't define it or you don't ask, they're helping you with whatever they think is best, not what you think is best. And um, the phrase that has become, and I started doing this, I did this myself as a younger energy healer, practitioner, student, um, was for the highest and best good. Um, for me now as a practitioner, that's nails on chalkboard because who defines that? Right. And, um, and if you are not defining that, you have a major problem. So, um, so if you're going to use for the highest and best good, please define it. Um, so it's the highest and best good as I have defined it, um, as you have defined it, if I'm asking for it for you. So um, anytime you catch yourself using a generic word, um, you want to stop and think about what that means. Um, there's a lot of cultural push, um, collective energy around certain words. And, um, and you're going to get the collective energy if you haven't said what it is for you. That is fascinating. I've honestly, I was using that for a while in my practice. And here recently, when I say it as my ritual, it does not feel right. It doesn't feel like what I should be saying. So now I've been changing it to any energy at you know, only light and love that's here for light and love. But even love is defined certain ways to certain people, you know, so that is very, very fascinating. Um, so what is what is something that you use? Like, how would you just general ritual wise, just to get people started until they can figure out their own recipe? What do you usually use in that case? Um, it really depends on what you're doing. I think that um, as a generic general practice, I think everybody should be doing some energy hygiene. So um, you, having some type of practice of releasing any energy that's not yours. I don't care if it's meant to help me or not help me. If it's not mine, I want to release it. And, um, and then filling myself up with, um, with universal blessing field, Reiki, love, um, divine, however you wish to define it, energy. So having some practice of releasing what isn't yours and filling yourself back up with with some other type of energy that feels neutral or good to you, I think is a really good regular practice. And, and it can be simple, like um, we all wash our hands several times a day. So anytime I wash my hands, I've set up, you know, I'm washing away anything that isn't mine. Um, I'm asking the spirit of water to help rebalance or refill my energy. So um, taking a shower is even better. You know, when I'm taking a shower, I'm washing away anything that isn't mine. Um, we all usually do some type of movement, even if it's just walking from your house to your car, or your car to your office. Um, anytime I move my body is helping, you know, release anything stuck in my body that isn't mine. Um, and then the other thing, and you can do it also through different um, guided meditation or, or visualization techniques. Um, I share a couple with clients a lot, which I like to use. Um, and, you know, it's basically opening up a blessing field above you and having it run through your energy body, taking anything with it that isn't yours down into the earth for composting. Um, and then closing that opening into the earth and filling yourself back up with that energy is one way of doing it. Um, 
second one was more based out of Celtic tradition, which is a little bit longer, but um, so you can go through and find some of those type of exercises that feel good to you. Um, the, the other, so you, no matter how good your boundaries are, you still need to do some hygiene, uh, but boundaries is the other thing I really think people need to think about. And um, a, a lot of us, I won't say everybody, don't learn boundaries um, as humans. Um, and so I think if you're a parent, please help your children learn boundaries. Um, it's the, one of the best gifts around. But um, we really need energetic boundaries and, um, you know, what is allowed, what is not allowed, what is okay, what is not okay, when is it okay, when is it not okay. Um, and so especially people who are highly sensitive, and I'm guessing most of the people listening to this podcast are sensitive, that's why they're drawn to this, is um, we have the ability to know a lot of stuff through our gifts. And sometimes that's overwhelming. And so, you know, how do you want to know it? When do you want to know it? Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. And um, so learning how to, to say, um, and that you can start off really simply, again, our intentions are incredibly powerful. So if I intend, say there's an energy bubble around me, I like to think of it at like arm's length around me. So not like right on my skin and say, hey, the only thing allowed inside this bubble are things I invited. Um, this is where I often, where I used to and where I still sometimes will hear people say for my highest and best good. The problem with, again, in that context is who decides. Um, is there somebody that says, hey, we'll use me as an example again. She's way out of alignment over here as CFO and we really think she should be over there doing energy healing. Therefore, we're going to make her life blow up because that really is for her highest and best good. Um, was it for my highest and best good? Probably. Um, was doing it that way for my highest and best good? I would hope not. Um, the but again, they had been warning me for a really long time and I was not listening. <laughs> so um, was it the only way to get me from here to there at that point in my life? I'm kind of ashamed to say yes, it probably was. <laughs> so I feel like I um a lot of sensitive people have that though. Like me personally, when I was little, I had experiences with darker energy. And it scared me so bad. I remember when I shut my gifts off because there, I saw one walking towards me and I just closed my eyes. And I swear it was probably one of the most powerful prayers I've ever said in my life to please make this stop, make them go away. And then ever since then, I've been shut off to my gifts. But now that I'm awakening, it's like I'm being flooded with my gifts. And at first it was so difficult to stop energy from coming in. And I was a Reiki practitioner for two years and I never, I never really got a whole lot better at protecting my energy. And I'm finding now that boundaries is really the biggest thing because a lot of us in this field, we have this innate um, yearning to help people and to you know, coach or, or whatever the case may be. And for me, that's something that I was born with. I've always wanted to help people and I had no boundaries. I just said, however, I can help you come into my field and use me as much as possible. And I will be there for you. And now I'm recognizing, wow, I really, 
I don't only do this on a physical level. I do this on an energetic level as well. And I really have to find a way to establish those boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really interesting because like I said earlier, everybody has their own recipe and I was doing different um, energetic exercises and visuals and things like that. And nothing would ever work until I got better at boundaries in the physical world. Once I got better at actually standing in my power and speaking up for myself and saying, hey, you can't treat me that way or that really hurts when you do that. Or, you know, I just started speaking about how I felt. I could feel my energetic boundaries getting stronger and stronger. Um, So they both work together. But I think that a lot of us, when we have that calling that we should work with energy outside of, you know, the solid that we see, it feels, um, I don't know, it feels crazy. It feels weird. It feels really scary. Because that's mainly what we've been conditioned to believe, that it's really scary. And really, it's not. I mean, like you said, it's just these energies that either are trapped here that are looking to find a way out. And for some reason, they feel like you can be that vessel for them. Mm -hmm. Or you have family. Like, I can only imagine how many marriages have ended and stuff like that from an ancestor coming in and saying, oh, yeah, we don't think this is good for you. So I'm going to, you know, come in and wreck your marriage so that you can go along your happy way. Where with me, you know, I could be saying, well, I want to try to work through my marriage (laughs) instead of ending it. Right. Um, So it is wild to think about how these energies affect us and how much resistance we have to them as a collective. Yes, exactly. Very, very wild. And, and everybody has different gifts. Um, so you can't take somebody's formula and say, this is how it's going to work for me. Um, I'm really not visual. I'm really excited if I see something visually because it really doesn't happen very often. So I don't boundary it out because yeah, bring it on. If I can see it, that's fun. You just made my day. But, um, but I'm incredibly auditory. So I definitely do not say bring it on with auditory things. Um, that's way too much for me. So everybody has to kind of find their own way. And um, the other thing I want to say about boundaries is you have a right to determine when and how you use your gifts. And um, I find another really common thing with sensitive people's sleep issues. Um, I can't tell you how many people will tell you I got me, I got woken up at three in the morning. And I was like, yep. Um, Our whole systems have calmed down. They're like, oh, you're in a nice, quiet, liminal space. I can interact with you now. Um, For me, that's an absolute no. I need to sleep. I am not healthy. If I do not sleep, you must let me sleep. So, um, but because I have an absolute hard and fast rule about waking me up, that doesn't mean I'm not ever willing to talk to you. I'm just not willing to talk to you at three in the morning. So, um, so when or how, um, for me, it's, you know, I'm pretty HSP. So if I walk into a room, I want to know if somebody in the room is angry because that I want to know that, um, it helps me feel safe, but I do not need to feel the flood of endorphins of being angry or, or reacting to somebody else's anger. So my boundaries might say, Hey, I want to know and not feel, um, in these situations. And that's how I've defined it. That's how I've asked for it. So, um, 
So you can say when, you can say how, you can say who. Um, I live in a pretty populous part of the country. So in, I used to work downtown. So did I want to talk to everybody's attachments when I walked down the street? Absolutely not. So um, do I, am I willing to talk to your attachment if you're in session with me? Yeah. Um, if you're not in session with me, no. <laughs> um, again, unless, then here's where my rules come into play, unless it impacts my physical safety. If you have something to say to me that impacts my physical safety, I always want to know. You always have my permission to tell me that. Um, if you want me to pass on a message to somebody else, no, <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, you can say when um, or how. Um, the only thing that I found, which I found was fascinating, is, um, is it, it's not a good idea to say never. Um, I never want to interact with this or that. It's like you've just issued a major challenge. Um, like, all right, how can I get around that? <clears throat> yep. so don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> speaking from experience. So um, I, it's kind of funny um, as an example, but I, I often recommend people that they do some type of office hour. Um, I'm only available Friday morning at eight. Otherwise, no, you have to wait and come see me Friday morning at eight. Well, then everything calms down because they know that I will be available at that time. They don't have to find a way around my boundaries to get in at some other time. The only thing is if you do say you're going to be available Friday at eight, you do need to be available Friday at eight. Um, yeah. That's amazing. How do you differentiate? Because I'm very auditory too. And I'm, I'm recognizing now I have a lot of guides, a lot of guides. I've had other people tell me that. And in my mind, I'm getting guidance all the time. So for me, as someone who's just coming into these gifts, because I'm one of those people that said never, I'm like, universe, please, if I make one request, I never want to work with dead people. Yes. And now it seems up. to be happening. Yeah. And so it's, it's been, um, it's been really trippy trying to figure out the difference because I am setting stronger boundaries where I don't want to feel I'm still not 100% on that, but I'm getting a lot better. Um, but that was my main judge before where how I felt in my body was determining what type of energy this was. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm saying no more of that, how do you differentiate the, the voices? Yeah. Um, there's a few ways to do it. Um, one, and this is a tool I learned in that first mediumship class is to ask a guide to be a gatekeeper. So, um, so you ask one of your team, um, say, Hey, can someone be a gatekeeper for me? And then anybody who wants to interact with me that I haven't given explicit permission to, um, so, um, it has to go through the gatekeeper. Um, and then the gatekeeper says, hey, you have someone over here that wants help with this and someone over here that wants that. And whenever um, it used to be really strict, everybody had to go through the gatekeeper and I would only talk to the gatekeeper unless I was specifically set up to do something. I'm a little too sensitive. I mean, not too sensitive for that, but it was very inconvenient for me to continue doing that once I felt safe and had a better more relationships and felt a little bit better about interacting with things. I don't do that as much, but now the gatekeeper is still always there. So when I'm just like, Hey, is this okay? Um, I go back to the gatekeeper. Is this okay? And whatever they say, yes or no. Um, if he says jump back 10 feet, I will jump back 10 feet and then ask oh. why. 
So, um, you know, at least I'll just speak for me. If you tell me to jump back 10 feet, I'm going to be like, why? Right. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to have to tell me that before I do it. Um, and, um, and I'm still kind of that way, I will admit it. But, um, but if he says jump back 10 feet, I will do that and then ask why. Um, because I know he knows me and it's always going to be about my safety. So I've asked him to have that role for me. So when in doubt, ask the gatekeeper. So, but you need to form a relationship so they really know you and what is and isn't okay with you to do that. Um, the, another way that you can do it is, um, is I like to call it body mapping and it's where you've asked your body to give you information. So like for me, when there's ancestral energy around, um, the top of my head will tingle and I've asked it to do that. So I've said, hey, and so if there's a demon, I've asked it to show up in this way. If it's a mythical being, I've asked it to show up that way. And for me, it's it's kind of a shortcut. So, um, so I can sit and talk to a client on Zoom and I'll be like, okay, you have some ancestral energy. There's a mythical being. And I think you have um, something attached in your um, colon. And they're looking at me like, how do you know that? We're still talking to each other. And it's because I've mapped that to my body. So it's just information. So, um, and with that, I also have some really strict boundaries about it only being information. So the ancestor is never allowed to sit on my head. I'm just supposed to know that there's ancestral energy. So, so for me, that's, you know, um, I've asked that no energy work be happening in my energy body. It always needs to happen in the etheric. Um, things shouldn't clear through me. Um, it's a boundary. So, but it's not a boundary that I even realized I could do or that was possible until somebody said, why do you do that? I was like, oh, you cannot. Um, so, so really kind of thinking about what works for you and what doesn't. Um, my 3D world therapist um, said that if I was angry or upset, it was a boundary violation, um, no matter what else was going on around it. And there usually is more than one thing, but it is a boundary violation if I'm angry. And, um, and I was like, oh, she goes, and then the question for you is, did they violate a boundary that you actually expressed? Or is there something that you need to express? So um, again, for me, I didn't talk about that kind of stuff very much, didn't learn that that, that wasn't modeled for me as a child. So for me, it was having to, it was learning how to say what my needs were and what was and wasn't okay with me. And um, I found with human 3D boundaries is you often don't know that there is or should be a boundary until it's been crossed. And, um, and it's really the same thing in the energy world. When something feels wrong, you have a right to change how you interact with it. Um, even things that are helpful, even when it's your guides, even when it's your ancestors, if it doesn't feel good to you, you get to set the limits around that. And knowing that you have the sovereign right to do that is powerful. Um, that it's just learning how to do it. And your intention is everything. So simply asking for it, saying that's what you need out loud. Um, the last thing my guides and I want to say about when you're getting guidance from everywhere is um, if you didn't ask for it, um, it may not be a guide. So um, I talk about this with human spirits a lot. Um, most human spirits, when they leave their body, they move back to the spirit plane. Um, when they move back to the spirit plane, they have a power source there and they have access to all of their lifetimes 
there. Um, and they're more than happy to help us and interact with us, but we have to ask. Um, if they're sitting on your shoulder trying to say, hey, don't marry that guy, or you need to move out in the country and raise horses, or, um, you know, like move back to the homeland, you shouldn't have immigrated to this country, or when people come in with those kinds of feelings, those ancestors are usually not crossed back into spirit. Um, they're still here, they're still very much tied into the lifetime they lived before their, their body passed. They're giving advice be it from that place, which isn't a bad thing. We all give advice from our lived experience. But if they've been here for a long time, it might be really old. They might be giving advice from their lived experience 500 years ago. And the other thing that is at issue when they do that is they don't have a power source without a body if they didn't go back to the spirit plane. So they're borrowing energy from you. They're inside your energy body. They're giving advice. Um, and those are more manipulative. They don't mean to be often, but because of the way they're tied in, um, it is more manipulative. Um, and I like to kind of talk about it as we've all had a micromanaging boss and hopefully we've most of us have had a good boss too. So I think of the ancestors that are crossed into the spirit realm as the boss that's off in their office going, you have this, come see me if you have a question. And um, the ancestor that's not crossed over is that micromanaging one saying, do it this way, do it that way. I don't care why you wanted to do it your way, do it this way. Um, so like that's kind of the difference for me between crossed over and not crossed over. And when I find that I'm getting a lot of unsolicited advice, um, it's usually coming from spirits that are not where they're supposed to be. That is so interesting. And I, I have no doubt, I'll probably have to make a, an appointment with you after this, because mm -hmm. I have no doubt that I definitely have some ancestral stuff because I, I have always been like the black sheep of the family. I've all, I've, nobody is like me. Everybody lives in fear and hate and, you know, it, just really traumatic upbringing. And I was always the one that said, I just want love and peace. Can, can anybody provide me with that? Yeah. And so I am recognizing now I have a daughter and a lot of the things from my ancestral line, I'm having to heal through her, through mm -hmm. having her. Um, but I do have all of this bickering back and forth. Like you should do this or I even have the ones that are like, oh, you're not a good enough mom. You're not doing this right. You should feel awful about that. And that's when I'm, when I say, okay, that is not my guide. That is not right. my inner voice. My inner voice is only about love and support and peace. Who is telling me this right now? Yeah. And so when you come, because again, I'm very new at this. When you come across this for our listeners, because I'm sure a lot of people look at that voice like, oh, it's just my ego. It's like my bad roommate in my head trying to tell me all this stuff when really it's an ancestor. How would they go about checking that? Do you just talk to the voice? Like how would, how would you typically, if you were hearing a voice like that in your head, how would you handle that? Um, I'm going to borrow from Daniel's um, cosmology or for a minute. Um, if you have a loving ancestral voice as well, um, I would ask the loving ancestral voice to talk to the one that's a little bit um, more harsh and saying, hey, um, I think, depending on what they're saying to you, I might say, hey, you feel, um, 
angry or you feel upset or scared or feared and um and i want to help you so i would love for you to talk to maybe some of your ancestors and see if they can help with that fear um and ask so basically go older um into someone who is healthier uh, who is crossed over and say hey can you help those in your line that are not crossed over can you help them heal and cross and back into the spirit realm um where they have support and you would think, I would think, um, from a very logical perspective, why don't they just do that? Why do they need me to ask, right? And, um, but again, they're respecting free will. So um, they're not coming in behind you going, hey, clean up an aisle three. They're going, well, it's up to you. Do you want to live with it or not? You know, um, maybe they're serving a purpose with you. Maybe they're teaching you something and those are things are always true. And those are ways that we rationalize bad experiences often is I had to go through this because it, you know, without that experience, I wouldn't be here today. And while that's true, usually I wouldn't be here today if my life hadn't exploded a couple times. The, um, I would, you know, I could have been here if I had been paying attention and following the signs and um, like you said, you know, with love and light for me, I'm like with ease and flow. That's my mantra with ease and flow, with ease and flow, with ease and flow. And most of the time, yeah, you can do things with ease and flow. Sometimes you can't though. Um, like I can feel there's a collective shift that's happening in the energy right now. I hear it and I see it from everybody. I'm seeing it with every client. I'm seeing it with my friends I'm feeling it in me and something big is shifting in the collective. And, um, and I'm like with ease and flow and, and whenever I say that everything slows down for me and, um, is it meant to slow down to make it easier for me? Maybe, but it feels like it's looming. And, um, finally I go back to my guides. I'm like, can you just do it? Rip this bandaid off, whatever this is, I would rather it just happen than feel it looming for inevitable forever. And there she's laughing at me. She's like, yeah, sometimes ease and flow is not actually and then I hear my teacher in my head, she goes, let the negotiations begin because I'm like, please don't blow up my life. Please don't blow up my life. Please don't blow up my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> but rip the bandaid off. <laughs> right. I know. But like rip it a little bit and then stop and then rip it a little bit and then stop. <laughs> yeah. It, I absolutely feel a huge collective shift right now happening. Um, I don't know if it is Pluto going into Aquarius. Um. But holy moly, it's like there is a stirring inside me that is just slowly coming up. And I feel like people like you are going to be so important to the collective because like, like we're saying, things are about to change and the veil is getting so much thinner and this isn't just for people who have asked to be in the work. It's not just for light workers or energy healers or, or whatever. This is for the collective. This is for everyone. We are all ascending as our planet ascends. And I'm telling you, talking to someone the other day about attachments and spirits who don't cross over, um, she works with spirits. And she said that there was one that it was a young boy who had... Um, commit suicide and he was so afraid to go back into the spirit realm because of the guilt and shame that he was living in because he was very religious yeah. and um you know religion says if you kill yourself then you're going straight to hell 
And I, in my head, I just thought, oh my gosh, how many people think this? How many people believe this to be truth? And not just about suicide, but about other things. Like if I committed this sin, whatever sin they believe is this unforgivable sin, that they're going to go to hell. They're not going to go to heaven. And from what I know, based on what you believe, that is actually what happens to you when you die. And we eventually do find our way back into the spirit realm, but it may take some extra help if we're stuck here because there's some people who want to stay with their spouse or stay with their kids. And imagine a nagging parent has lived their life, they've crossed over, but really they haven't. And they are sticking by you, beep, 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 over your shoulder all the time because they think they know what's best when really they don't because they're not you and they are interfering with your free will at that point when yeah. you don't know that they're there, mm -hmm. you know, and this is probably happening to so many people. Hundreds of millions of people. And yeah, then you go much to better. therapy and your therapist will say that that's conditioning or learned behavior. And, and it is, it is. Um, it's both. That's the right. problem is it's right. both. Yeah. And how much better our life would be if we could just get rid of these attachments, if we could become into come into the awareness of them, stop being afraid of them and just treat them as if they are a living being with you because they are. Oh, it's all are. energy. And just because you can't see them doesn't mean it's not alive with you. So I say communicate with them as if you were communicating with your best friend or someone that you love, because mm -hmm. that's going to be the type of energy that's going to get them to go back to where they need to be instead yeah. of fighting them and resisting them and being mean. You know, if you look at people in the physical, when you do that, it only just pokes the bear. It's going to do it the does. same thing there, too. And sometimes we legitimately don't want to deal with them. If you had the nagging parent that you had to constantly fight with your boundaries on for your entire lived lifetime, the thought of them doing that after they are gone and you having to start all over again in a new way is devastating. And, um, and you don't have to. So this is where you kind of have that mixture of options. You can set a strict boundary and, you know, you can ask their ancestors to help. You can ask your guides to help. You can get someone like me to come help them. The, um, you know, you can do it more harshly, like the Catholic Church will do it through exorcism. Um, I obviously don't like that method. I think it's mean, but the um, but there's lots and lots of ways to do it, and you don't have to just live with it. Um, I think that's important for people to know. And but you can just say, "Hey, you can't stay with me." Um, I joke sometimes with clients. It's like the old bar song. It's like you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yep. So um, and you have a right to say you can't stay here, um, but you have to use it. Right. So one last question before we end, um, when you do kind of cast out this energy, is it possible like how you're saying um, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here? Is it possible that when you remove them, that they still stay in that area and they could attach to other people as well? The way I work, no. So if you come and see me, that definitely will not happen. So we're just kind of talking about if you did it yourself, that is definitely possible because you're not actually helping them go where they need to be. You're just setting a boundary about them not staying with you. The um, If you come see someone like me, um, what should happen if 
with a professional is um, for me is I will always help things go all the way home. So it's not just a, you have to leave cat. It's um, no, you have to not even have to my work, my practice sits on kind of two big pillars. And one is that whatever I see and interact with is done compassionately. So I can't say, oh, you're the nagging mother. Um, that's so judgmental. If that came from me, you can come from you. I can feel that way about my own mother. No problem. But um, but anytime you hire a professional, that should not be coming from them. So the moment you start feeling that harshness or judgment from a practitioner, I would beware. So um, but from a practitioner, it would be like, oh, I'm sorry you're here and you're stuck. And why do you want to stay here? What do you get out of being here? What do you need? What do you think your options are? Can I invite your ancestors and your guides to come help you see what your options are? Do you realize that you staying with cat is causing problems? This is how that's causing problems. They usually don't even know that. They're like, well, I love my daughter. Of course, I don't want to be causing her problems. And you're like, but you are actually inadvertently causing problems. What if I, you know, we showed you, you can help the same way you're trying to do here from there. And then you're not using her energy. You're not in her body. You're not over her shoulder. You can still talk to her. She can still talk to you but it has to be a little bit more separated. Um, can I open a doorway so you can see it if you're afraid? Um, people who come in with the suicide, which is unfortunately common reason for things to get stuck, is, you know, hey, can we go back through your soul's journey? Most of us, I think, are reincarnated. Can we go back to a past life and bring in a soul family ancestor that can come help you so that you can talk about what your options are from a more neutral place? the um so for me it's by doing it compassionately it's always honoring the spirit um when you when i see non-human things it's like how did you get here you don't belong in this world um is there a reason why you still are here and usually there's some type of binding there's a curse a spell a contract um something an agreement um and it's like hey can we fix those and so it's going back and contracts or agreements get renegotiated, um, spells and curses get unwound. The can I call in another being that's similar to you to help you shift your vibration? Can my guides give or subtract energy to make you back into a healthy state? Um, can I open doorways back into your world? So and it's my guides that do all of that. But it, by me being the voice or the discussion of that, um, it's making sure that everybody has their sovereignty, not just you. Um, the being's like, yes, but this is what I need. Um, you're like, great, let me help you do that. Um, so that the client gets what they need, the human, but the spirit gets what they need too. And so, which is, you know, for me, consent is everything. So it's consent of all parties, not just the human client. Yes, you have sovereignty, you have a right to say no. Um, but they have needs too. So, um, so how do I help with their needs while giving you your sovereignty? And I keep studying. I think studying is fun, learning different tools. And I will use whatever tool my guides say we need to use so that everybody gets where they need to be at the end. Um, I find, I call them hitchhikers. When we've picked up a spirit that, you know, if you go, hey, not with me, go over there. That's all I know how to do. So I'm doing the best I can. I mean, you no harm, but you just can't stay with me, which is, 
that's really all we can do without more training, right? So um, and the next, the, the spirit's now sitting on the sidewalk going, well, now what do I do? And the next person walks by, they're like, well, I'll stay with you. And that person's going, I don't know, I went for a walk and now I feel funny. Um, and they come in with me and it's like, oh, well, they don't have a reason specifically to be with you. It's not your mother, but, um, but they still need help. So for me, it's like, oh, I call them kind of hitchhiking spirits. They're not your ancestors, but it's still a human spirit. Um, it would work with them the exact same way. How do I help you get back where you belong? That is just so fascinating. And I assume because you're saying that these spirits can drain your energy, I'm assuming they can also make you sick. They can, yeah. Wow. So sometimes it's, again, it inverted. They're just borrowing energy from you to stay active. Um, our human bodies aren't meant to support multiple spirits. They're only meant to support us. So after a while, your your body system's going, okay, I need 100% of energy I have 40. So where can I take, where can I conserve that 60% of energy? And that's when people start having weird autoimmune issues. They're like, I don't know why my, this system doesn't work or that system doesn't work. And that's where your body's going, well, it won't kill you if we borrow energy from here to make this work, but it does make you sick. Um, and sometimes you have really specific physical things. Um, that could be where the spirit is attached to you, but it could also be an issue going on with them. Um, as an example, I saw someone whose brother had passed away in a motorcycle accident and the brother's spirit was staying with her. And um, in the motorcycle accident, they had broken their arm um, a couple of places. And she said, ever since my brother passed, my arm really hurts. And the doctor's not finding anything wrong with me. And because that was such an active energy with the spirit, when the spirit merged with her, then um, she was, my arm hurts, my arm hurts, my arm hurts. And it was really him his arm hurt. Um, the other thing that they do is um, you find these with the ones that are maybe aren't really trying to help you. They just don't know what to do or they're just trying to live their life. It, the only way they can get anything they want when they're not in a body is to get you to do it. So um, you're like, I don't know why I suddenly want to smoke. I don't like cigarettes. And um, everyone goes, yeah, that's weird. And I go, ding, 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 ding. Where's the spirit? <laughs> so um you know, because it's just really common. And the if we're fully mindfully present to bring it back to my tools, the um, if I'm fully mindfully present, they're here with me, but I'm in control. But you can't stay fully mindfully present 24 seven. It's not possible. I don't care how much training you have. Life happens. You don't sleep well. You take allergy medicine. You're just no longer mindfully present. The um, when that happens, we step back a little bit. And um, anything with us that has an agenda of their own, they can step forward a little bit. So um, if you find when I have one beer, I do really weird things. It's not enough for, for it to be alcohol related, but, but I still do weird things. Um, for me, I was like, oh, what do you do? And is there a theme or a pattern that's often a sign of attachment? So, um, so if I'm if I only do this when I'm tired, or I only do this when I'm drinking, or only do this at, um, I start looking at you know, how mindfully present are you? Is there something hanging out with you with an agenda of its own? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm just blown away. You have taught me so much in this conversation. You are just oh. a wealth of information. Thank you so much. So I was wondering, I was talking to someone on the last episode about having light worker trauma. 
Do you think that lightworker trauma could also be a form of attachment or curse that is placed on you that can be cleared? Yes, definitely, it can be. The um, I find that those of us that are feeling called to do this type of work and are having a really hard time, like if you feel blocked in terms of getting public clients, but you can trade all the time, you can do it for free, but the moment you try and advertise or charge someone and you, you find you get stuck, a lot of us have old past life things um, could be light worker trauma where things have gone wrong and you've decided for yourself. It's almost like a vow or a contract where you're like, yeah, no, I am never doing this publicly again. Um, and sometimes we have um, restrictions placed on us from fear. So if especially a common one is if you go back towards, say, the um, witch trial eras, um, it wouldn't be safe to show gifts in public. So a parent might say, I, I'm going to make my kids never show a gift in public, and which makes a lot of sense in that age where it would be really dangerous. So a curse for me is an energy structure. If a curse is really made up of an intention, a target, and some type of power, it would be the structure of a curse. So if my intention is I never want my kids to show gifts in public, well, I've got, there's the target of the kids. The intention is to never show your gifts in public. Well, I'm scared. I got a lot of fear behind that. I'm probably also gifted if my kids are gifted. Therefore, I have some personal power and my emotion. And maybe my ancestor is going, yeah, we have to protect the kids. Well, now there's a whole lot of power in that. And that's even if I didn't go actually do an actual ritual or spell, which you can do as well to add power. So, um, so then the kids grow up and have kids. Their kid, Those kids have kids. Now we're... 500 years later and um, you can't show your gifts in public and the general area has changed. It would be safe to show your gifts in public now in a lot of places, um, but you can't. Um, and so that, that would be an ancestral curse. Um, it has that curse structure, even though it was made out of love. Um, it was made to be protective. And um, so if your words is, hey, nothing but love, well, love allows that. Love says you can never show your gifts in public. So um, so you can undo that. It, it gets undone just like any other curse. We would go back to where the curse was formed. We would basically pull out that intention and we'd run it out the fabric of time and unweaving and, and filling back in from the blessing field. So, and if it's a vow or a contract, I never want to do that again, um, which would be past life trauma. Um, again, I would go back with one of my guides, usually the goddess Freya for me, and to that moment in time, and I would talk to the you of that lifetime and say, hey, um, I'm working with you in the future, and this is causing problems. What is your actual intention? Do you just mean this physical incarnation? Um, or do you mean only when it's not safe? Or do you really mean for all time, every lifetime from here after? Usually they're not thinking about that. We don't think, hey, I reincarnate. When I say this, it's going to last for every single lifetime. Right. We usually just mean this incarnation because that's our whole world um, for most of us when we're alive. So they're like, no, I just mean this incarnation or, or even better. I only mean this situation. Um, and you're like, great. Can we say that instead or can we add that on to the end? And they're like, yeah, that's what I meant. Well, now we've just modified that contract by mutual agreement. And um, and now you come forward and you no longer have that block. You don't have that old light worker vow of I'm never doing this again 
or a parent going, please don't ever show your gifts in public. Um, that's all kind of, you can unravel or undo them. Um, you can also find curses on us from um, people who are jealous or other businesses that says, hey, you know, I'm going to be queen bee of the energy world and I'm not going to allow any other practitioners to do it. Therefore, I'm going to curse anyone else trying to do what I'm doing and I'm not doing this. Just an example. And um, so that could be the curse could be on a group, any light worker in my area. Wow. Right. And not just on me. Well, then you reincarnate with that. And um, but the whole group has this curse. And you might say, oh, there's a curse on me. I'm going to undo it, but I only undo it for me because curses feel personal. They have a personal effect. But if the curse is on a group and not on you, um, it doesn't work because um, you're still part of the group and the group is still cursed. So you really have to go figure out who is the target and make sure it gets undone for the entire target of whatever curse or spell is done so um so yes a lot of those curses there can be curses around visibility it can be curses around stepping into your power there can be curses about pay pay is another really common one if you go back in time there was a belief system in a lot of places where healing should never cost money um the, so the healer would always provide in whatever was asked of them but then the community would care for the healer so the healer didn't actually need anything so they didn't have to charge anything um that's not the modern world so in the modern world, the reciprocity isn't the community will take care of you, it's that you will pay for service. So, um, so sometimes it's going back and saying, hey, can we amend the reciprocity so that it matches the modern world? And I don't want to be greedy, you know, I don't want to be out of alignment of me, but I still have to make a living. Um, and sometimes it can just be completely taken down. So it really depends on how it's set up. But a lot of those old restrictions or blocks around light workers, around making money, around visibility, around power, um, not just around healing, but around all parts of your life, any place you feel blocked, you can really look at, at, at doing that. Wow, that is amazing. And it. <clears throat> so now I have two questions. If you become aware of a curse that's been placed on a group and, and you're a part of that group, you can release that curse from the entire group without having to get anybody else involved. That yes. is awesome. Yes. Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. So again, consent comes back to as long as you're part of that group. If you come to me and say, hey, my partner's cursed, obviously. He has all of these problems and I know it's a curse. I can't touch that. He's not my client. The curse is on him. It's not on you. But if you could say, hey, our relationship is cursed. Um, and the guides go, yeah, your relationship is cursed. Well, then I can undo that through you. You're giving me consent to undo the curse on your relationship. So, or my family has this issue. Yep, I can go through you and do your family. You can't say my husband's family has this issue. I don't have permission for that. There's no consent. So, um, so for me coming back to consent, it's really important. Um, it's, I don't, I don't like it when clients come in and say, hey, come fix my partner. Like, no, that's not what I do. But come fix me. If you're looking for the magic pill, please don't do that. But if I'm part of what you're doing and you're actively working on yourself and your practice, I love doing that. So say that you accidentally, because I'm going to use me as an example right now. If you accidentally put a curse on someone, because with me, with my daughter, I have had moments where I have felt like being an empath is a curse. 
And I have openly said that, like being an empath is a curse. I would, I believe the words out of my mouth were, I would rather die than have her end up with this curse. Yep. Of being so sensitive because it is extremely difficult being sensitive if you don't have the tools. But here's the thing, I'm, I'm her mom. I have the tools. I can teach her the tools. It doesn't have to be as difficult for her. So if you find yourself on the opposite end of saying, oh gosh, I might've put a curse on someone, you can, I'm hoping you could revert that yes, <laughs> through intention. Can, for sure. In fact, you can do it yourself. Um, so the um, words have power. I've said that several times in this and anyone who's worked with me a lot is like, it's my mantra, words have power. So um, whenever you catch yourself and we're all human, I don't care how evolved you are, we've all gotten angry and said some things we don't mean when we calm down. And um, I don't care how evolved you are, that happens. When you calm down, you go, at least I didn't do anything. You should know that you might have done something with your words. So, um, so for me, what I love to do is just like, again, I'm a computer person. I was like, cancel, delete, <laughs> cancel, delete. Like, I didn't mean that. Like, um, so, but, but just saying, Hey, I, I, you know, I don't want to send any energy to anybody. Please retract or pull back anything that I have sent, um, is with totally within your power to do the, um, one of my teachers said, you know, words have power. She goes, but I'm a New York Jew and a cuss in traffic. And, um, and it just cracks you up because, you know, this is a really high end. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, it's like guru level practitioner. And she goes, yep, I cuss at people in traffic. She goes, when I reach, realize I'm doing it, she goes, I reach in my back pocket and I pull out the fishing pole, I swing it out and I reel it back in. That is so, so totally whatever your analogy is, um, you can pull back your intentions for sure. And, um, when I teach how to do curse work or when, when I was learning how to do curse work, um, but I definitely do it when I teach is, you know, starting small and building into bigger and bigger curses as you start learning the tools and build the relationships to do it. I always start with something that your parents did for you. Um, Cause I don't, we all have intentions for our kids. Our parents all had intentions for us and, um, and hopefully most of the time we mean well. Where can people find you if they want to take one of your classes or schedule an appointment with you? Yeah, so my website is energyhealingwithspirits.com. And um, you can either do a session with me or workshops with me. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, your first appointment I like people to do on Zoom so that um, I can see you, you can see me, we can ask questions, go back and forth. Um, you can either do a 30-minute consultation with me if you're not sure what you need from me. If you're like, oh yeah, no, I know there's something. Um, just book a two-hour appointment. We'll do the consultation at the beginning and then we'll do the work, um, that same appointment. Um, most people don't work with me more than a, a handful of times. So you, most people can get their work done in one or two sessions um, and then come back and see me if things feel funky later. But I'm not someone you would see regularly, like, you know, like a regular Reiki session or definitely not a therapist. Um, and then I teach workshops. Um, I love teaching just two or three hour workshops once a month where people can come in and play with a topic and go off and, ex and use that in your life. Um, being able to talk to your guides is a prerequisite for pretty much all of my classes. And um, I did unfortunately just teach that in January. So I won't be teaching it that again as a, as a workshop until the fall, but um, 
the one in January is recorded or you can learn how to, to talk to your guides from any teacher. It doesn't have to be with me. Um, and then come play with us and we do a different topic every month. I think our topic for March is actually boundaries. So, um, so if you want to come play with how to set up your personal boundaries in a two hour workshop, it's the second Saturday in March. Um, and I also do some private classes, talking to your guides is one of them. Um, or you could do that with a small group. If you, like me and two of my friends want to learn how to do that, set it up as a private class and we'll do it as a small group. Um, yeah, so I, but I love working with clients. I see clients four to five days a week. So, um, so energyhealingwithspirits.com is where to find me. Um, and I want to ask if you have a general message for the collective, what would it be? Right now, the message, the collective message for everybody that I'm hearing from the guides is community. Um, lean into your community, build your community. Um, this, this next stage, whatever it is for everybody, you can't do it by yourself. So, um, so make sure you are leaning into your communities. Some people are being told to join them and other people are being told to lead them. So um, I don't know where your listeners are going to be in that, but, um, but really whatever your nudge is around community, um, I would highly recommend that you follow it. Yeah, I um, very much resonate with that. That was my New Year's speech to my community. I had a gathering at my home. And I said, you know, a lot of us are, there was some men, but it was mostly women. And I said, you know, we've been strong, independent females for so long. That's not going to work for us anymore. We need each other. Like the tools that we've gained through being these strong, independent females, we need to now apply these tools to our community and our collective because, yeah, there's about to be some really big shifts happening. And I don't think that any of us really know what it's going to be because there are so many different outcomes that are possible. And, you know, we can do a lot of stuff on our own, but not like we can with each other. Yeah. There's, we raise power when you join community. Um, no matter how powerful you are alone, when you sit with someone else who's powerful, that resonance, that power, it opens up new possibilities. And, um, both in terms of doing things, but also healing um, from a healing context. I've always been more of a solo, quieter person, but I'm finding that if I sit with a colleague and we look at a client together, we see different things. Um, and some of that's just different perspective. It's the joy of working with different healers, but some of it is whatever's with that client is like, oh, you guys have enough power to help me. So they move forward. Um, Whereas by myself, they might look at me and go, you can't do it. Um, and so they step back a little bit and I can't see them. So sometimes there's big power in doing it together. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Gail. This has been an amazing conversation. I can't wait to get this out. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'll have to have you on again and, and talk some more about the things that you're experiencing as we go through this shift. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so awesome. much. Thank you very much. I'm sure that we'll connect again soon. I hope so. Thank you for tuning in to Vibing Consciously. Remember, your journey is unique to you, but you're never alone. Always give yourself grace and honor your body. If you're feeling, you're healing. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and share it with others who you believe may benefit from our discussions. 
You can find out more about Vibing Consciously by visiting our website, vibingconsciouslypodcast.com, or follow us on social media. If you would like to share a topic for an upcoming episode, or if you would like to be featured on the show, please reach out to us. Until next time, may you continue to grow and thrive on your spiritual path. Stay true to yourself and let's spread love and peace in this world together.